Welcome to Grape Minds, a wine-centric podcast where two wine-loving friends take a look beyond what's in the glass. We look behind it, too, discovering the stories, the culture, the history, and the people that make it all happen. I'm Julie Glenn. We also taste a little wine along the way. I'm Gina Birch, and today we are wrapping up our Summer in Italy series with a celebration. A celebration of all things sparkle in Italy. Meaning bubbles. Your favorite. And I want to let you all know that the sound quality is a little different today because we are recording from the breakfast nook at my house so it might be a little more echoey than usual but we figured this would be a great setting because these are perfect breakfast wines they so are they go really well with corn chips and and we are corn, <laughs> corn flakes i'm sorry and uh, and corn chips really pretty much everything bubbles are so universal and we're going to be drinking or trying a bunch of them today so we don't want to drive we're just going to float in your pool when we're done <laughs> exactly. recording at the breakfast nook with our breakfast wine Bubbles are a great way to start and end any trip. We began this series because we've been dreaming about a summer in Italy, but we mm-hmm. still can't do it in the manner in which we'd like to because of the lingering COVID situation. So we decided to do it virtually by leading, uh, being led by wine, of course, while also acknowledging the food and culture of the various regions. Yeah, so we kicked things off a few weeks ago in Sicily. We were tasting Nero Davolo and a very refreshing Grillo. Man, I was so nice to rediscover that wine. We traveled to other southern, the southern region, we consisting of um, Campania, Campania uh, Puglia, and uh, that's where we sipped some really good Primitivo. Primitivo, we had some Alianico. It was great. Mm-hmm. Um, from the south, we then traveled into the central part of Italy. We went to Montecucco in Tuscany, where we talked all things Chianti, explored the differences in Montepulciano, the town versus Montepulciano d'Abruzzo, the grape of a different region. Mm-hmm. And then northern Italy from Piemont to Alto Adige. One of our favorite regions, Alto Adige. Love Definitely. those wines. Can't pronounce them, half of them, but, you know, doesn't mean <laughs> I don't like them. Doesn't mean they're not good. <laughs> there are so many different grapes and wines and foods and regions in Italy, so we really, really had to condense things. It was quick and dirty. Definitely not the exhaustive version of Italian yeah. wine. If we did that, it would take a whole year. It would be. I mean, and I'm not, t- I'm talking like if we did a podcast every other day, it would take forever. For uh, real, for real. Be so our last stop in Italy really isn't a stop at all. It's more of a celebration where we explore the sparkling wines. There are sparkling wines everywhere. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, everybody knows about Prosecco. Yes. But there's a whole lot more out there. We're going to break it down all the way down to the Lambrusco. Break it down, break it down, Lambrusco. Yeah, well, <laughs> that is kind of how you feel when you're having some Lambrusco sometimes. <laughs> but don't poo-paw. Some of it's pretty good. Uh, no, I, I'm for, for real, I've had some that is, they're dry and they're delicious and they go great Cheese and charcuterie, yeah, and with your with your prosciutto plate. Mm-hmm. Now, here's some fun facts here. So, Trent Trentadoc was recognized as Italy's very first DOC for Method Champenois, which means it undergoes a secondary uh, fermentation in the bottle. That's the way they do it in, in the Champagne region. So, in Trentadoc, it's a high altitude area. Uh, there are a lot of family-owned organic vineyards. And last weekend, I was at—I uh, had a brunch, and I tried the Montfort Rosé. 
uh, from Trentadoc, and I'm telling you, it was lovely. It had strawberries and fresh fruit and this great acidity and a really nice mousse, and um, it was just such a lovely wine. And so here's the difference when we're talking about Method Champenois and Prosecco, and we're going to talk about a little bit later. Mm -hmm. That was around $30. 30 bucks. yeah. So when a lot of That's people reasonable. see it for that wine, heck yeah, it was, it was completely, completely uh, uh, and remember, oh, Ferrari, um, Ferrari Trentadoc. We got to try that. That, that was, was a really fun interview. Let's, um, let's, um, uh, repopulate that again. Let's re-air that next week. How yeah, about we'll it? put that one out there because we're going to need to be celebrating, uh, sparkling wine, cool sparkling wine all summer long. Yeah. There's no reason not to do that. So we'll get that Trentadoc story back out there so we can all remind ourselves what came first, the wine or the car? Do you remember? <laughs> I do. Which one was it? I think it was uh, the wine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> for, for the intents and purpose of this podcast, it was the one. We're going to go ahead and say yeah. So today, though, mm. we are beginning our tasting part in Franciacorta. One that Ooh. a lot of people, I don't think a lot of people have heard of this, but they should. Now, Franciacorta is kind of a young, it's a, it's a baby uh, region, not region. The region's been around for a while, but it's only become like a DOC recently back in 1961. Yeah. Yeah. When you think about the history of Italy and that the DOC wasn't until the sixties. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, that really is a, when you talk about it, it's a, it's a young wine and my dog's in the background saying that he needs to try it too. And I understand he's, <laughs> he's, he's a smart dog. I'm thirsty too. So we're, we've got one in our glass right uh -huh. now from Francia Corta. Uh, this one is called Le Marquesine. This is an extra brute Francia Corta and, uh, we are in the glass and it's really extra brute. It's not super, good. super dry. I think it's a blend of Chardonnay and Pinot Nero and Pinot Bianco. Um, and then there's a, there's another one, Herbamat. Herbamat. Yeah. Not sure I'm familiar with that particular yeah. grape. But that, well, that's one of those. Sounds um, like a Banco mat. It does. Or a <laughs> yeah, laundry mat. But it's one of those that's uh, Sounds herbaceous to the area. Sort of, yeah. And, and, but they only allow a little bit of those. Only 10%. Yes. In, into these grapes. So, so they got their rules because of the DOC. Um, the secondary fermentation in the bottle is the situation Ooh. in Franciacorta. This is a historic region that was named after um, an area where the people are so privileged they did not have to pay taxes. That sounds like a headline I just read. I feel like <laughs> old, current day. I know. History repeats itself, does it not? So, um, French well, Corta, the uh, Chardonnay, they, they model it to be the champagne of Italy. Yes. So, Method Champenoise, similar grapes, similar rules, a lot of... Um, even like how you train your vines that is controlled by the DOC. Seriously. And I think and like you have levels. to have a minimum of 18 months on the lees for the non-vintage and 30 for the vintage. I mean, you can taste that lees. I mean, it's, Ooh. there's a lot of flavor. It's not a, you know, sometimes things get a little vapid or they just don't have a whole lot going on other mm -hmm. than the dryness and the acidity. Um, I'm not going to say it's fruity, but you mentioned earlier, you found it to be nutty, super nutty. Very dry. I wouldn't say yeasty. I think there's a difference. So no, I, no I thought yeast. about I'm yeast not at first. Brioche, yeah. No, it's 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 nutty. It's like uh, almonds or hazelnuts or you know, like the nougat that you can find yeah. oh, up in that my area. Kind of like that, but without the sugar. <gasps> yeah, you know. So we have a we have a little sandwich, a little breakfast sandwich <laughs> <laughs> that has a lot of salt and a yeah. little bit of fat in there. And man, it's it's tasting really good with yeah. this with this wine. It's kind of like so, a dried fig, almond, hazelnut kind of thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, did you get any herbal feeling on this at all? Mm, not, not a lot. No. I'm really, I'm not getting it now. In the way of fruits, maybe um, underripe banana kind of feel. I'm getting some lemon too. A little bit of Meyer lemon. lemon yeah, like yeah. The, not the 
Wang lemon, but the like yeah. real mild, yes. kind of creamy lemon. Gotcha. Oh, deliciousness. So I recently sat in on a virtual uh, Frenchie Accorda festival. No. Oh. They had a virtual festival because we can't do it in person. Did everybody dress up? Uh, no. Hmm. They put Shut on up. lipstick, though. Oh, well, we all wore lipstick. That's virtual. a big deal. <laughs> so Silvano Brescianini, who is the president of the Francia Corda Consortio and the brand ambassador, Mary Mata Alia. And so put together a brief montage explaining the area a little bit more and what makes it so special. Take a look at the growing area and where is um, Francia Corta produced. So we are in the Lombardy region. We are in the northern part, kind of the central northern part of Italy. Um, and the wine region sits very close to Milan. Actually, it's I think it's a little bit over an hour's drive from Milan, um, but also pretty close to Bergamo, close to Brescia. So um, if you wanted to just do a day trip from Milan, you can. But also if you're in the region and you wanted to just kind of go to Bergamo, in fact, the first time that I visited the region, um, I was visiting wineries and I was there with my family and they were doing day trips to one day to Bergamo and one day to Russia and one day on the lake and one day to Milan. So it's actually, it's a, it's a very nice way to have a visit that's kind of centralized in a very pretty area, but you're also close to a fair amount of interesting towns and cities. Um, the wine region itself covers 19 towns um, that fall in the province of Russia. Um, and we are in the northern uh, lake region. So of course we've got Lake Garda, which is the largest lake in Italy. You've got Lake Cuomo, Lake Maggiore, you know, that's, uh, we've got, you know, George Pony on his, on his jet ski. Um, and then we've got the smaller Lake Iseo. So Lake Iseo is the fourth largest lake in the Lombardy region, and I believe it's the sixth largest in Italy. Um, but it's, it's really sort of the northern defining um, characteristic of the wine region. I can't kind of overemphasize the importance of the proximity of the lake for a lot of different reasons. Um, one is climate. And the other one is also just, um, you know, the life that surrounds the lake. So um, we know that you, when you are close to a body of water, that the water acts as a moderating influence. So it tends to moderate your heat and your, um, your warm weather. It's an accumulator of both heat and cold. So even though we're technically what you would describe as a continental climate in the sense that you're not close to an ocean or a sea, um, but, the, but the lake is large enough to actually have an influence on the surrounding wine region. So it does sort of mitigate some of the summer heat. It also tends to temper some of the colder winter months. And then the very, another really interesting thing about it is that you do have this stunning island that is sitting in the middle of the lake. Um, it is the largest inhabited lake island in Europe. It's called Monte Isola. And um, it's, it's A, it's beautiful to visit, and B, you've got all of these restaurants that are sort of right around the, um, the edge by the water, and you can easily day trip. You take a boat from the mainland, you go out to the island, and you just enjoy some of the most amazing um, seafood, just kind of lake fish um, in a spectacular setting. And it's, it's the food, the, the culture of the food from the lake is really important. It also marries incredibly well with the wines. Um, so in a lot of ways, it really sort of enriches um, what this region has to offer. Um, so let's talk about the French Accorta method. And for um, in terms of grape varieties today, um, the vineyard is dominated by Chardonnay, which represents 80% of the plantings. Pinot Nero is actually growing, I believe, in terms of plantings. We're seeing more um, Pinot Nero. It's, it is 16%. And then Pinot Bianco, which is 3%. And I was kind of 
fascinated a little bit by this, um, you know, by when Chardonnay and when are these grape varieties sort of, um, you know, the significance and when, when, why is Chardonnay 80%? And I think part of the conversation for a long time, um, Chardonnay and Pinot Bianco were sort of co-planted, not necessarily clearly identified one from the other, um, so much as they would say, oh, there's a sort of a, a golden Pinot and a green Pinot. Um, and then with, you know, some further uh, research, it was identified that a lot of the, what was called the golden Pinot was in fact Chardonnay. So it wasn't really until I believe the eighties where they was a formal kind of um, understanding of the fact that, you know, a big part of what's planted there is actually Chardonnay and, uh, and Pinot Bianco is, is a small player, but it's an important player there. It is one of the sort of the heritage um, grapes of the region. And it does really, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of Pinot Bianco and I, I really do find that it brings a very um, pretty characteristic to the wines. Um, those are the primary grape varieties. And then as um, Silvano mentioned in 2017, um, there was an introduction of another grape variety, which is called Erba Mat. Now Erba Mat, is, is um, referenced in that book that actually, again, Silvana mentioned um, way back in 1564, there was a reference to Elba Mat um, as an indigenous grape variety. And it, one of the, the reasons that we like Elba Mat today is probably also one of the reasons that it sort of fell out of favor back in the time, which is that it is a very slow to ripen grape variety and it tends to really hold on to its acidity for a very long time. It's a very naturally high acid grape variety. So of course today, what we know about viticulture is not what we knew back then. Um, so today, understanding climate change and, and trying to get a bit ahead of potential, um, uh, you know, what, what, what climate change might cause in the region, um, there was an interest in trying to sort of look back at some of those old um, native grape varieties and Erbamat was identified as a potentially suitable grape variety that's indigenous to the region, has this naturally high acidity, um, is not particularly strong in its flavor imprint. So it could be an interesting addition to the blend without really changing the characteristic of the, pro of the flavor profile. Um, and so as with everything else, methodical studies were done. Um, and then in 2017, Erba Mat was introduced into the blend. I believe today that it's still um, an experimental, maybe it's 1% of the plantings. I think Silvana, I think in your, one of your wines has a little bit of it. Um, another winery has a little bit of it. A lot of wineries, maybe 10 to 12 wineries today are planting um, and looking at it. And, um, and the potential, because you know you have to figure out how to use it in your blend, you have to figure out how it's going to impact your blend, how it's going to impact your maturation. So it's never you know, something that you're just going to do lightly or you know, in, in, in a, it takes more than a year, basically. Um, and now there's also some uh, studies going in um, into the different clones of, of Erbamat. So I believe, I think when we spoke, Savani said there were three different clones that they've identified today. We don't really have names for them. It's just one is a kind of a bigger cluster, one is a smaller cluster, one is a tighter cluster. Um, but that's kind of the next step of also trying to understand and isolate the better clones. Um, and so it, it's very much kind of a work in progress in terms of research, but um, it has been permitted into the rule book as of 2017 to a maximum of 10% um, for all styles except for so during the festival, I tried uh, a 2016 Cantati Castel di Satin, which she mentioned the Satin in here. Uh, when I translated, it means silk. And everybody was raving about this style of wine from Franchi Accorda. So it's spelled S A 
T-E-N. With an accent on the E. With the accent on the E. So Chardonnay is the most prevalent. It's a Blanc de Blanc. Uh, most of the time it's the only um, grape used. Pinot Blanco or Pinot Blanc is used. And it can be used up to 50%, but no more. And this is one of those that spends about 24 months on the leaves. So that's pretty you can long. taste that. Yeah. Um, and it's longer than most bubbly. So, and also about the sateen, there's less pressure. So the bubbles are more fizzy and that's where that whole silk comes in. It's creamy and effervescent and super fragrant. And again, it has that nutty characteristic that we're getting in, in this extra brute. I think it's kind of interesting that these little, these regions and these DOCs keep on trying to add little extra things. Mm -hmm. Like we talked a lot, a long time ago about Chianti Classico with the, um, what was the... Oh, they were having a separate classification. Grand. Grand. Mm. I remember the winemaker I talked to about it. He yeah. was annoyed. He called it Grand Confusion. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> Grand Selezione. Great. That That's it. Grand, Grand Selezione. Selezione. That was another, like a new, um, putting finer points on the rules and things yeah. like that. Benito doesn't like it. He's saying it in the background. <laughs> yeah. He's like, look at these people with the this marketing ideas. But like sateen, it. it seems like what they did with this, with this marketing idea of sateen and the different flavor profile... They actually did amend some of the procedures and uh, requirements, like the aging, like you mentioned, in order to achieve a certain kind of flavor profile, right, right. instead of just tightening up and being Sangiovese only or whatever, you know? Well, you know, Italy, as we've just talked about, produces a lot of wines that are made method champenois, and mm. what the country is really known for when it comes to bubbles is Prosecco, and Prosecco is made to sparkle through the Charmat process, which... Uh, traps the bubbles in wine via uh, carbonation in large steel tanks. So it's a totally different process. Mm -hmm. It's one of these that you can literally turn and burn. That's why it's less expensive. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to sit in the cellar and sit there for 18 months and three years, five years. It's you, it, you produce it, you bottle it, you ship it, you drink it. It's there's not a big investment sitting there in your warehouse. You don't know exactly. You mm -hmm. don't invest in real estate or time. Uh, it's ready to consume immediately. In fact, you want to consume it immediately, and it's instant gratification. But what's making me mad is so many people are starting to get into it, and now they're hiking the prices up. Like, it's, uh, I mean, finding a good one, you, if you're finding a decent Prosecco, you're going over $15. used to be, it could be around 10 mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? But demand, I guess, drives those prices up. What are you going to do? Well, it's become one of the most exported and most imported, you know, when it comes to the sparklers, the Prosecco market. Has it's grown by leaps and bounds. I know we've done a, we've done a story on that. We have actual statistics, but uh, don't have them in front of us now. So. Come on. I <laughs> know, sorry. Use that calculator brain. <laughs> so by law, Prosecco has to um, contain 85% Galera, mm -hmm. and that's one of those local grapes. <laughs> oh, hey excuse there. me. Hey, I and just opened a bottle. I was trying to be subtle about it, but huh. uh, it wasn't the kiss that we're supposed to have when we open. No, that was a smack. No, I was talking cool. too much. Nobody's mad. Okay. Nobody's upset. Nothing no, spilled. It sounds good. Sounds um, good for this for the podcast. Only five other grapes can be added. Added Valdebbiadene is the best area for a prosecco. Mm -hmm. um, in right next door to uh, Emilia Romagna, it is in the Veneto region. Um, lots of hills. They have a, a road called Prosecco Way. Like oh, prosecco. you were talking about that before. I'm dying to take the the road of the Prosecco Road. Yeah, and uh, I think uh, some of these. Uh, parts of Valdivieden have been declared a UNESCO World yes, Heritage Site have. Um, because it's a very specific and uh, unique region. Uh, was, they do some still wines, uh, but mainly they focus on the thing that's selling, which is, of course, the sparkling. So what we have in front of us here is an organic and vegan 
rosé, mm -hmm. D-O-C, from Corvezo, in a cute squatty bottle. It's a rosé, uh, and it has like that little short neck and then the little fat shoulders. I right. love when they do these different... It's an, it's an extra dry mm -hmm. millissimato. So the Corvezo's vineyards are in Treviso. It's Italy's largest grower of organic glera mm -hmm. and Pinot Grigio grapes by volume. You mentioned it was organic and, and vegan. So, And this falls in that category of still affordability, $13. Really? $13? Yeah. That's great. Mm -hmm. And it's a rosé. So rosé is finally getting some recognition for Prosecco. We think... Yeah, that was new. It wasn't allowed super before. Super new. And I think we we broke that news with uh, Mianetto yeah. uh, a couple... Gosh, when was it last year? No, it was, I think it was earlier this year. I think it was during the pandemic because we had to sit across different... We were sitting at opposite ends of the table yeah. during the uh, thing. <laughs> when we feared one another's breath. <laughs> yeah. And now we don't. No, no. It just smells just like it always did. <laughs> it smells like it always did. I used to just fear the, the, the salami smell on your breath, but now, <laughs> or the garlic smell. Now I just don't know. I'm yeah, just kidding. No. She, she has good breath. But I, anyway, <laughs> um, so this whole rosé thing is really, it's different because last year the Italian consortium that governs the DOC and the DOCG designations, they did something really big and they finally included the Rosé Prosecco. Um, so when you see the DOC or the DOCG on the label, those letters indicate that the wine has been made to certain uh, specifications and standards. Yeah, I am liking this a lot. This mm. is a whole different world. Mm. So we went from French Accorda. That was a very lean, austere um, mm. sip. This is like a different level um all kinds of flavor on that mid palate lots of fruit fruitiness strawberries but still dry but it has that kind of earthy feeling sort of i'm not going to say it tastes like it's a natural wine but it tastes a little bit more similar to a natural wine than definitely the french accorda mm. kind of has a little bit more earthiness to it Are you feeling that earthiness i can get that I think there's something about these wines that are made more natural that feel a little brighter and lighter to me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Doesn't mean lighter means not significant in, in structure and body. It's just there's something about it. And, oh, yeah, this is this is a really lovely wine. They also make um, a, a regular, you know, brute style. Uh, but I would stick with this one. You said this is what, $13? $13. Come on. That's an all-day drinker Sign right there. Sign me up for a case of that. I mean, yeah. that is really, really good. That's what we're going to be floating in the pool with in about for 10 real. minutes. For real. I mean, that is fantastic. Mm. I mean, that is a bargain. 11.5% alcohol by volume, which is not bad. It's not too high, and it's definitely not so low you don't know it, but... Um, I do love when you get into some of these wines and they're not super high alcohol. Sometimes Prosecco is a little lower in alcohol than that, but this is great. And I sometimes like... some Proseccos have a little extra sweetness that I don't always like, mm -hmm. but this, this is just seems to be hitting the spot. Like you said, it's a pretty bottle. It just, it's a, it's happiness. It's, it's happiness. Really, Let's totally, call it happiness. I don't want to oversell it, but Corvezo man, happiness. I love it. So it's called if you're looking for it, it's a cute squatty bottle. It's got little ridges on the side. It's called Corvezo, C-O-R-V-E-Z-Z-O, organic and vegan, Prosecco DOC Rosé. And we've got a picture fantastic. of it on, uh, on our website and Yeah, we'll be putting Facebook a picture of it on uh, social media. I just dig that. Okay. Yay. 1010 would recommend. Love that one. <laughs> the French Accorda, also good, but for a very different occasion. Mm -hmm. um, this one goes with sandwiches. This is going to go with everything. I just want a bunch of strawberries now. That is really good. I want, I want strawberries and, and salted almonds. So we hit a couple of the big guys. We've got the Prosecco, the newest type of Prosecco, that being a rosé. We talked about the French Accorda. 
Otherwise, in Sparkling in Italy, you have to also talk about our friend Lambrusco, which is mm-hmm. panned often. You say the word and people look at you like, what? Like you just suggested Blue Nun. Um, and, but friend, but we, it needs to be remembered that um, Lambrusco is there for a reason. It's a big thing in Emilia Romagna and it goes wonderfully dry Lambrusco with um, the prosciutto and mm, the culatello. Mm-hmm. And you have these, um, these wonderful fatty charcuterie boards with one great salami and you put a dry lambrusco next to it and it's perfect because it has a little bit more heft than for example a prosecco and uh leads right into your your main meal so so look for a dry lambrusco and if you can find it they're kind of not real easy to find because there aren't a lot of people screaming for it but if you do find it grab it give it a try see what you think or special order it just to know what it tastes like i think it's uh a good thing to just have in your uh, repertoire, um, but maybe try to avoid the sweet one. Yeah. But let's not ignore the other. Well, let's sweeties. talk about sweets. And she mentioned yeah. it. Let's. We we would be remiss if we did not mention. We can't. I mean, because it's so popular. Moscato d'Asti. Yeah. Right. Um, Moscato d'Asti is a, a well-known sweetie. The town of Asti is in... Just like you. Yeah. You're a well-known... <laughs> the town of Asti is in uh, the region of Piedmont, which is famous mm-hmm. for its Barolo, and you could not get more opposite from Barolo than a Moscato d'Asti. Yeah. We talked a little bit about Moscato last week, but uh, we, we saved did. the d'Asti, you know, for our, yeah. for our northern Italian. Asti is so. a cute little town. Mm-hmm. Um, but you get out of the train station, there's a fountain right in front of you, and it's a little coupe glass... With a fountain oh sparkling I want to get in that coupe glass and swim. I know, but it's water. <laughs> I don't <laughs> with, care. <laughs> with the uh, oh, oh, yeah. Well, oh, with the pigeons, yeah. I, yeah. And rethink. also, when you're in that train station, keep your eyes out in the fall for people selling uh, truffles. Mm. It's almost like you, it's an excellent place to score some good truffles from a guy in the train station. It feels like <laughs> you're making a drug deal and it costs about as much, but um, <laughs> it's definitely worth uh, keeping an eye open for if you're ever in the town of Asti. Um, so... That is the dessert for the sparkling wines of Italy. Now, every region and every neighborhood in Italy is going to have a sparkling wine. they got a lot of wine, and they're going to make everything they sure. can out of it. Mm-hmm. I've had really good sparkling rosé from Calabria. Just because I happen to be there, you just go in there, pick it up, try it. Right. So if you're out there traveling around and you're not virtually traveling, um, try everything you can while you're there because you might not ever find it anywhere else because they don't always make enough to send out the majority of those smaller villages don't yeah and the little so, bitties so try them out immerse yourself while you're there just yeah i love it drink it all try order it all everything. all the locals and oh yeah this is awesome well i've had a great time traveling through italy this with you this summer this has been a summer. fun tour of italy and i love that we ended it with our um yeah. our sparklers i'd rather be there in person but you know what this is this is a good second uh, second choice and maybe next year we can do our show from that would French be that would be excellent. Mm-hmm. So keep an eye out for us getting our passport booked and stamped. Uh, Great Minds is produced at WGCU Studios usually, but today is being produced at my house um, <laughs> in, in Florida. Our producer for online media is Tara Calligan. Great Minds theme music is from the Kansas City band Victor and Penny. The song is You'd Be So Nice to Come Home To by Cole Porter. To get in touch, check out greatminds.org. For Julie Glenn, I'm Gina Birch. Thank you for listening. Under an August moon burning above